Love Talk Radio. You have reached, you have reached Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. I'm your host, Jason Mankey. It's a really, really hot day here in California. Also, there are wildfires burning all around us. I am in no danger, though. I have friends who have had to evacuate their homes who live up in the hills. So, I mean, there are a lot of bad things going on. But because the air quality is so bad, we're not allowed to open up any of our windows in the house. And I'm broadcasting in my office, which has not had a breeze in it for three or four days. And there's no air conditioning or fan because you'll hear it. So I am sweating bullets. I'm losing weight for you because I care and I love. But I'm here to do the show. My guest tonight is going to be Witch Dr. Utu. And we'll get to Utu in just like one or two minutes. The first is, as always, this is Witch's Whiskey and Wit. I have whiskey right here tonight. We are drinking some rye whiskey. Utu lives in Canada. They drink a lot of rye whiskey in Canada. It's on ice. God damn it, does it need to be on ice? Mm. I'm a witch. Utu is at least witch adjacent. I also think Utu is witty. Sometimes I am witty, but as the whiskey flows, we become less witty. A little Jason news, if you give a shit about Jason news. Two weeks from now, my next book will be out. It's called Llewellyn's Little Book of Yule. It is very hard to think of Yule right now with the weather as it is. Hopefully, though, better days are ahead if you want to get a jump start on your holidays. It's a fabulous book. I'm really proud of it. I hope that you will consider picking it up. And if you don't want to consider picking it up, don't tell me because you'll hurt my feelings and I'll cry just a little bit. So uh, with no further ado and no more self-promotion for me, my guest tonight is Witch Dr. Utu, author of Conjuring Harriet, Mama Moses Tubman, and the Spirits of the Underground Railroad, probably my favorite magical book of 2019. I remember picking this up, and I, like, bought it on Kindle because I could have it on my phone because I wanted to read it everywhere I went. Also, I wanted Utu to get some money, so I wanted to buy it instead of just keeping only the copy that Wiser sent me. It's a fabulous book. Utu, thank you for being here on the show. It's really good to talk to you, my friend. Greetings, brother, and uh, with your toast of whiskey, I will open up a can of McClay's beer, and I will (laughs) toast to you from across the northern wall that separates our colonized nations, the closed forbidden wall cheers my friend thank you for is the that a words, scottish by the way. i know you were born in scotland is that a scottish beer that you're drinking it's a scottish themed beer yes that's very popular <laughs> in uh, our liquor stores here in canada where we get our beer to pay for our health care so i always make sure that i buy my beer out of the liquor control board uh stores because that literally that and the legal marijuana now is pretty much responsible for our free health care in the province of Ontario. So, you know, it's tax generated. And so I get a big can can for $2 and, uh, you know, and I get a bunch of them. So, uh, I get the <laughs> you know, speaking of Canada and liquor control board stores, I met you in Canada. It had to have been like 2004, maybe 2003, whatever year you were on crutches. Cause I met you when you were on crutches that's right. That was a Wiccan fest. And right. you know, it's so funny because 
that meeting, which was great um, because I'd heard about you up to that point, was uh, has purpose because I still listen to CDs, okay, out of my stereo. And uh, I, you know, I do it like everybody else, but I have a turntable and I have tapes. And I, I mean, I like CD players because they're louder and the WAV files are better. Anyway, uh, you come up a lot in conversations, of course, because we're tight and we have a lot of friends in between. And the Morrison ritual that you are notoriously famous for providing to many people, which I always thought was amazing, happened to be taking place at that Wiccan Fest down at the fire pit. I had, yes, one of the rare times I was in a broken knee and crutches and uh, you know, the facilitators of the fest were always really good to me back then and said, hey, look, drive your Jeep down there and don't worry about it. Drive it down to the fire. And so my woman and I drove down there and we got out and we watched you setting up and you had this little ghetto blaster and you were going to have the, the disc, you know, of the whole yeah. music that you create for the ritual. And so I walked up and said, hey, man, I got this Jeep here, you know, uh, it's got a good stereo. You want me to just crank it? It's parked right here. And you he said, yeah. And so there we did. We had the music for that. And uh, at the end, you were happy to have a good sound system. And you gave me the disc, which to this day, I still play when I like to play Doors music because Doors are one of my favorites, of course. And every once in a while, I got to throw that in because I've had friends over. They'll be like, what compilation is this? <laughs> this is the Morrison ritual compilation. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's got like a little weird spoken word bits in it between songs and stuff. I, yeah, right. I love that. Awesome. It's yeah, it, you had to play it too because my little my little boombox didn't work. So you saved my ass. Like that's yeah, how that we was... met. Utu saved my ass. <laughs> so when you were yeah. talking earlier about uh, you know nice words for my book, which I really appreciate, I have to admit also, you know, the only award my book ever got and is gonna get is the horny award from last year, <laughs> which is like the pagan version of Oprah's favorite things. You know, Jason Mankey's hornies. So, uh, yeah, I cherish my horny. I rub the horns quite often just to, you know, think about my big achievement. <laughs> just don't let Ari know when you're rubbing my horns. I just don't want to get in any trouble. You know, I like to, <laughs> like to stay married. It's for the best for everyone involved. Yeah. I don't even know if most people see the horny awards. So that's really good that you were paying attention. Oh, yeah. People see them. They're, they're, you, you know, I, I, you are humble. But I think you, yeah, you got to underestimate a little bit, like the 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 uh, influence that you have, because you know, in the modern witchcraft world, you are the reigning pagan ayatollah of rock and roller. You know that just <laughs> you know combines the world of rock and roll and the occult into one awesome fusion of fun and community, which is that's what I love about your work. Actually, it's always about bringing people together in groups because I, I can appreciate that, and it's what I've always enjoyed about even your books that you write. You know, they're always. There's always a, a, a theme in there for a coven, a working group of people, traditional or not, but people that want to work together, communities that want to throw down open ceremonies, open workings around the Sabbaths. That's, that's, that's really important to have books like that, and that's why I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to your Yule book because that's a great subject. I can't wait to get it. Well, every year it looks like Christmas barfed up in my living room, so I thought I should just kind of scrape that all together and throw it in a book. You know, just just to share my over obsessive love of the holidays with people. You know, we talk about community. It is like one of my favorite things. I mean, I met my I met Ari and you know, Ari. Uh, I met Ari at a pagan student group. I go to lots of pagan festivals. You go to lots of pagan festivals. And over the years, since I have not been able to move, you know, go to back to Canada since I moved to California, I see you often on the road. This year has been completely different because 
the things that I was supposed to see you at, we, they just didn't happen. Um, right. And I'm not real positive about 2021 at this point, but what, what is probably your favorite festival or your favorite place to visit and go to? Well, for sure, my favorite outdoor festival for the last you know, 10 years or more is, is your favorite outdoor festival, if I'm not mistaken, from when I read you, is Serious Rising at Brushwood. Yeah, yeah There's, I think so. Now, you know, I get it. It's also it's that property. Brushwood is magical. It's otherworldly. It's entrenched in 30 years of construction. So, you know, the, the roundhouse is where, where everybody drums and, and gathers. Revel Fire is amazing. The land is incredible. So I think that's really hard to beat. Um, I've also enjoyed the property at Wisteria and have enjoyed many events down there as a guest as well. For a long time, I think the underground uh, popular festival was the one in Canada, which was Wiccanfest back in the day. It was, uh, it was really different. You know, it was uh, interesting and very hedonistic. Just prior to everybody having access to the Internet, you know, it was around, but it wasn't really – everyone didn't have it, thank God. Cell phones weren't our thing. Well, they were, but they didn't have pictures taken, thank God. So Ontario yes. got away with this kind of uh, was like the northern barbaric barbaric horde, and I think all the festivals at one point kind of emulated Wiccan Fest and Harvest Fest because they were the first ones in the province, and and, and they were and they were the uh, Wiccan Fest was I believe either the second or third oldest festival on the continent. So it was very early on in the very, in the early days of paganism in the you know the great rebirth of it here in the Americas. Uh, so that that's. It, that, that was also my favorite because it was the hometown one, of course. But to me, uh, Sirius Rising is the best outdoor festival that I've I've been able to experience on a regular basis. And you know, when it comes to conferences, which are totally different, then you know the the two that really stand out to me is going to be Convocation in Detroit, simply because it's so huge. You know, to me, that's a really uh-huh. hard feat to pull off. It's 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 always about 800 to 900 people there. And I really enjoy it a lot. And uh, and then now, you know, for the last five years, Hexfest in New Orleans, which I don't even think is a conference. I think that's just a, a, a monster all on its own that is so unique, you know, that it, <laughs> it moves around the like city it. from the boat to the Bourbon Orleans Hotel. So those, you know, in my circuit, and it's true, it's we do see each other a lot. And I think I, I often think to myself when I'm, you know, looking at things and I wonder, like, who you really are, like, you know, I'm not saying I'm anything, whatever, but there is not too many people that, do traverse the continent like myself and you do and in two countries and see each other quite often at all four corners. So um, I, I always take note of that and I'm always happy when I see you being successful and know I'm going to run into you because uh, yeah, there's not too many people that get to do that. So we're blessed guys. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like a short list of people that I see at a lot of places. Lil Dorsey is one of the others and she's a friend of both of ours. You know, and I think that's because we see her at Hexfest and at Sirius Rising. But I see Lilith a lot. I see Tempest, Laura Tempest Zakroff. I see. I used to see quite a bit. I don't know if I will now in the post-COVID world. But there's really, it's a really small group. You though have like another reason to tour though that I don't have because I have no musical ability. I might have the hair that makes people think I have musical <laughs> ability, but I have none. But you are the founding member of the dragon ritual drummers and you guys are celebrating your 20th anniversary this year, right? 2000 was when you all got together. That's right. And we had some grand plans uh, that we were about to announce uh, in March, some point, you know, we were thinking, let's just get through the end of March and tell people what we have in mind uh, as far as celebrating our 20th year of existence. And, you know, it's not the same people. It's not the same members all 20 years. That would be virtually impossible. But what's unique about our troop is that all our members 
are all members of the Niagara Pagan Men's Circle, which has existed for 25 years. And so most of the members of the band were not drummers when they were in our, in, attending the Men's Circle once a month and eventually said, you know, I want to I get in on the, the traveling fun of this. And sometimes, uh, well, not sometimes, most times I've taught those guys uh, how to drum, like literally from the ground up to the point to be able to perform. And now that was definitely the case for the, the first wave of members. We have always had the same core to some degree. Unfortunately, our old sage, our old man Flint passed away five years ago and he founded it with me. But uh, when we founded the Dragon Ritual Drummers, it was not meant to be more than a one show uh, thing. That's all we wanted to do was to play a show at this pagan social. We used to have a thing here that we used to organize called the pagan socials happen four times a year and we were like let's let's perform uh, uh you know some orchestrated drumming uh, represent our men's circle and tell the story kind of the drums of the the niagara legendary ancient horned serpent of niagara falls which has a, a a very long long history of being either revered by the original inhabitants that were called the aniagara tribe that were eventually wiped out by the iroquois in a in a war and then it was also still uh, kept alive as the sort of evil antithesis of what it once was, as a sort of malignant serpent now that tried to harm humans. And that's to this was sort of was something that was, con, you know, continued for quite some time. And we just wanted to do a one, a one event. And it just so happened to be weird that where we were rehearsing, a friend of ours was, on, was the producer of a, the rock radio station in 97.7, Hits FM here in Southern Ontario. All of Ontario could hear that station. And he said, I want you guys to come on and drum. And can you do a ritual uh, right on the air? And we were like, okay, Damn. sure. And, you know, we did that. And that already set the bar for us. We did a ceremony to help them be a really good radio station and, and beat out the, uh, the, the, the competition. And so from the ground up, from the ground running, we sort of hit always performing magic and not being afraid to do it or performing ceremonies of some sort for the general public. And then a month later, we were on another radio station. Then we were invited on two television shows and, you know, we were like, what the heck is going on? So I said, well, let's just record a CD and that surely will just end whatever's going on here. And, and then we can just forget about all this. And then we released the CD, uh, volume one, and uh, we sold a few thousand of those. And that just began the monster even bigger. And then we've never looked back. And so while we definitely have had people come and go out of the lineup for hosts of reasons, sometimes just mostly because they move away or uh, you know, just uh, lose interest and, you know, or just disappear, it happens. But we've always had a core unit. Thankfully, you know, when it really counted the last 10 years, our core unit has been the most prolific. We recorded the, the best music and we recorded that because our, our member, Brian, who was originally our producer, just eventually joined the band because he was an industrial metal producer of music that, you know, like that kind of music. And he changed the right. way we recorded and brought a whole new sort of style so our stuff could get played on the radio because back then 10 years ago people were still trying to get music on new age radio and spiritual radio stations and we did so now we've and so he was talented ian joined the band who i used to play in rock bands with in the 90s and he's been in the band for 10 years and and uh, even drago has a past musical history of playing keyboards and and bass and stuff so most of the members now of this, this last 10 years have some musical acumen from the past and are, we were able to apply it to what we do and and we still uh, so yeah it's 20 years of it's hard to believe i never thought i'd be part of anything that would last 10 years <laughs> let alone 20 you know and i i, I probably think a lot of witches feel that way but here we I are mean, 20 I, years later yeah. well i'm thinking of groups sort of in the pagan music world or magical community world and I, I can't think of any that have really stuck around for 20 years. Maybe Kiva, that's the only one 
that I can think of. I mean, it's really unprecedented. It always seems like these things are just kind of coming and going in the wind. You know, you better catch them while you can because in three years they're not going to be here. So 20 years is really impressive. What was it that kind of changed the the group from, oh, we're just going to do this a couple times a year to we want to record albums and tour places? Was there any one particular thing or did it just kind of evolve? Well, it just kept evolving. But once we recorded the first CD and then said, well, you know, okay, and you know, I just bankrolled it at the time, essentially. And back then it was expensive to have to get into a real studio and record everything. And we did it and said, well, let's just sell it. And so at that point was already attending the festivals in Ontario, which was uh, Wiccan Fest, Harvest Fest, Kaleidoscope, Spirits of the Earth. And those were the only four. And so it's like, well, let's go there and sell them. And then, you know, they were like, why don't you guys come here and play? And so then we were like, oh, okay, sure, let's try that. And then basically, we you know, we, before we went off conquering the West, we started in our own tribal lands and, and uh, just went to every <laughs> pagan festival that would have us and a couple of pagan prides in Ontario all within a couple of years. And, and uh, again, thank God there was no social media then because, you know, it was just, it was definitely uh, crazy. And it was every bit of craziness you can imagine was encouraged. And I know you saw those festivals up here at the time and got an idea of what was going on. It was definitely oh, yeah. a fun time, a really fun time. And, you know, nobody ever got hurt out of the deal, but we definitely uh, enjoyed, you know, the, 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 the thrill of being on that Viking ship going from place to place. And so then we realized that, well, what do we have here? Is this something? And again, it was like, well, you know, I was being, being pragmatic because I'd been in the in rock bands in the nineties, you know, I, I kind of had an idea of just how futile the music industry can be. And I was like, well, whatever, this is really niche, uh, market. Let's, well, sure. Well, maybe we, let's just record another CD now. Let's record a better one. Cause now we're all better, right? Everybody's better than you were the first CD. So let's record another one now. And that really was it. And the, really the, 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 then we decided, you know, then we got invited to play in the States and we we're like, okay, well, let's do that. Let's, I think we're onto something. And really the biggest, the biggest turning point for us was, uh, New Witch magazine back in the day uh, you could buy advertising in there and we had been making money from the CDs and so we just put the money down and bought a whole year of the inside cover of New Witch magazine and then we had wow. one cover one year of Sage Woman and so that was when we were selling our drum opera CD and we sold so many of those because we were in the inside cover or the back cover it fluctuated but we took that up and we had a graphic designer do the whole thing to make it like an interact already sold the CD. And so that put us on the map like nothing could. And it was the best investment we ever made because we were, you know, now on the lips and ears and eyes of, you know, everybody that ever bought New Witch magazine back in the day. And that made a huge, huge, huge difference. And of course, they covered us a couple of times, a couple of articles about us because, you know, at the time it was like, what's what's with all the guys? And, uh, you know, we also got a lot of resistance over the years. People were at first originally kind of put off that, well, why don't you have women in the band? And I'm like, well, because our band started in a men's circle. It's really not that complicated. It's, we're kind of a tribe from within a tribe. We're doing this and that. And to be honest, you know, it's no mystery. But uh, Anne, when she was running New Witch Magazine, offered us the cover twice if we had women in the band and said, I cannot put men on the cover of New Witch Magazine. It will not sell. And we were so hurt. We were just so frustrated. We're like, oh, my God, because who doesn't want to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone? And back then, the cover of New Witch Magazine, if you were on it, man, you were it. You know, that's the it. Fact that we you were and so... Black, it would have been you and Blackmore's Night. That would have been about it for musical groups. Well, that's because he had, uh, you know, the beautiful woman there. And that's that. And literally, she told me that. So, 
but yeah, that's what it was. And it's, we just never really overplanned anything until eventually we started to tour into the States. And then we realized, well, every year we re up, see who's willing to continue to do this. And uh, let's just keep, let's just, we, now it was invite, and now it was opening doors for us really to be able to perform and, and do rituals as well. So every place that we went to to perform music, which is fun, but we're all ritualists. And this gave us the opportunity now to perform rituals and open ceremonies and circles and classes and kind of represent where we're from. And that's when eventually at one point we had to deny in Ontario before anywhere else that we were voodoo drummers because in the pagan community at the time, that was not really very welcomed. I've had a lot of uh, hard work over the years trying to help make those traditions acceptable into the pagan community. And, and uh, there's a few people that also know that that's the case. And so for us, it was frustrating. We started telling people, no, we're not voodoo drummers. We're just pagan drummers until we couldn't just, we just couldn't swim up river any longer. And eventually the climate changed a bit, but we were like, yeah, you know what? Members of our troop are initiated and we live at the end of the underground railroad. Our band started right at the block where it is. Uh, We're connected to those families and these congregations. And that's part of the mystery of where we live. And yeah, we're going to exalt it. We're members of, you know, the voodoo spiritual temple in New Orleans. We're, you know, we're also, uh, you know, um, honorary drummers for a couple of other houses, you know, from Yoruba land as well. So mm-hmm. we just embraced it and said, yeah, that is what we are. And this is who we are. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's just been a long, 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 crazy thing, but it seemed to have almost gone by in the blink of an eye, to be honest, I cannot believe it's 20 years. It kind of is shocking. Yeah. I look back and I'm like, 2000 was 20 years ago that you, you're kidding me. That was like five years ago. Right. Like, you know, to me, Pearl Jam will never be classic rock, and yet it is classic rock. Why right. do you think there's kind of the resistance to voodoo traditions in sort of paganism in general? Well, the reason back is it racism? Day, I mean, I don't want it to some, be, but I, I, th- it could I be. think I don't know. Like, I, you know, what originally encountered it up here in Canada first, not from Wiccan Fest, by the way, because Wiccan Fest were bringing Priestess Miriam and Louis Martinet up from New Orleans yep. back in the 90s. So. That wasn't the issue. It was a couple of other events, not Wiccan Fest. They, like, at the end of the day, that crew that were originally putting that on, those people were you know, all elders, all clergy, all very worldly, and, and they're very inviting. And they, they, were, they were never an issue, never questioned anything at all, and actually gave me a whole amount of trust and a wide berth to, to work in those traditions. So it wasn't that. It was other festivals in Ontario that were having a hard time with it. And they went, it was for two reasons. Mostly one was ignorance. People assumed that voodoo was all animal sacrifice, uh, people getting possessed and being, you know, uh, that we were psychic vampires drumming and, and stealing everybody's energy. And so to me, that I think can quantify as racism to some degree, because it's, I think when people looked at it from their eyes, it was something that was exotic, foreign, mysterious. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know. They saw the movie Believers and, and uh, Serpent in the Rainbow and assumed it was nefarious or there's nakedness and animal sacrifice and blood everywhere. That's really ultimately what we had to try to or show them that, you know, that this is not the case. And eventually it just took a lot of hard work. And then also a lot of bringing people up to come up here to uh, Canada as well, because Lola Thorsey was also a presenter at Wiccanfest. Again, Wiccanfest never was an issue or neither was Harvest Fest. It was other ones that, you know, their attendees and their, uh, their organization committees kind of were a little squirrely about it. Now in the States, you know, it was for different reasons, I think, that are the same, you know, a little bit of ignorance, not exposed to because of the idea of how many, you know, it's segregated, you know, America is very segregated in many ways. So it just took a while. And after a little while, 
it was great. And now these traditions were very accepting and to the point where all of the festivals now wanted to have representation of African traditional religions. Tons of people of color, of all colors, but a lot of tons of people of color that were not part of the pagan community were now being able to, you know, be invited and share and, and prosper and benefit and help teach. And that has been what it was for a good 10 years almost of what I consider to be a kind of a golden age of build, bridge building and fraternity. And unfortunately, it's kind of just kind of had this weird comeback now with the whole woke social justice warrior world that wants to regate things and kind of tell people who are the ones who should be teaching it or whether it should be there. And, and I find the whole idea repugnant because it's, it's uh, again, where I live, the majority of people of color, and there's a lot of them in my life, are not members of an African traditional religion. They're witches. And while they may have some family connections because we're so multicultural here, people from the Caribbean, but in Canada, and especially in Ontario, and especially the part of Ontario I live in, the black community here, which are descendants of Underground Railroad freedom seekers, they don't identify with the American black experience, nor the Caribbean experience, or the African one. They have their own identity. And so that's what we represent as well as, as ambassadors of this community that I belong to. So it's, it, always, it seems crazy to me to tell people what they have to be practicing, that they should be. If, there's, if you ever go up to a black person at some sort of spiritual open event and say, oh, you must be practicing voodoo, right? It's not going to go over well. Yet no, the whole not. internet social justice world, this is what they literally firmly believe. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. So nobody wants to see appropriation you know, halted more than myself. And to be honest, I think the pagan community has done an amazing job of uh, dealing with cultural appropriation. And really where they're dealing with it the most over the time of you and I being involved was making sure people weren't pilfering from the native American and first nations traditions. That was the cultures that were being completely ravaged with sweat lodges and all these manner of things by somebody who absolutely should not have been teaching that or sharing that. And that, and names they were calling themselves community in both Canada and United States has been really good at actually policing that and eradicating it. So I kind of feel like the whole, outrage a lot of sometimes is like you know do people attend these events because they're actually like you know people are doing the work that they can there's always going to be issues but we're doing a pretty good job of policing that i i firmly believe and i i always thought i was in that police force to be honest until until my book was released and realized oh uh well certain people don't think i belong in there but lo and behold yeah, I mean, obviously we're gonna we were gonna touch on that, but now that we're here, we might as well just dive into it. I'm gonna guess that you were surprised by the negative reactions to your book, right? I mean, I was surprised by the negative reactions to your book because I felt like the people who were criticizing your book had never spoken to you, had never met you, and the criticisms started before the book was released. So, I mean, in that regard, certainly not fair, right? I mean, you have to – you can't condemn, some, condemn something before you read it. Uh, so how surprised yeah. were you when all this started? Well, it was a mixture of things. Uh, yeah, you're right. The criticism of the book stopped the minute it was released and people were able to read it. And uh, I wouldn't have minded if a few people who I know, I've seen screen captures of their opinions going, well, I, you know, I guess I got that one wrong. It's like, well, all you have to do is message me and maybe we could build a bridge here because, you know, I get it. You're all upset about something. That's fine. But uh, yeah, the outrage was before it was released. The problem is I was prepared for controversy. And, you know, once people also read the credits and saw who helped me write the book, which is predominantly a large force of black historians, um, you know, we were prepared for controversy from the white academia 
uh, who were going to lose it. And I have seen their reactions. Some of the most powerful underground railroad historians that are white, you know, they already knew who I was and weren't too thrilled about what I represented. But they're educated, you know, and being educated is a, is a great gift because they actually basically said, do not react to this book. Pretend it doesn't exist and it will just go away. It's just an occult book. Let it be. It will be buried. Let's just not give this guy any light. That's how you deal with it. But the outrage with the woke community, actually, the, the reality of it is, is it was a hatchet job. Um, you know, I found out a lot about it. And, you know, I already knew before it went public that there was a faction of people at Pantheacon that didn't want me there because I was a threat to them. And, and I, was, I wasn't surprised by that. But I was kind of like, wow, okay, well, I guess that's too bad. And then I discovered that the, they exploited some issue by a lady that, you know, said, well, why is there a white guy doing this, this, these workshops? And the workshops weren't African in any way. They were literally history, teaching about a, an actual, in California, in that area that no one talks about with Mary Ellen Pleasant's whole arm of the Underground Railroad. No one's ever taught about it there other than, you know, um, you know, Dr. Cecile Bibbs, she definitely has. And, but, you know, uh, Louisa Tish, but they had been, you know, active in a while. So nobody's teaching about the Underground Railroad. So how is that appropriating anything? And especially when I've been, you know, puffed up and pampered up by people who represent those cultures up here where I live and say, good, good luck, go for it. So they're really, at the end of the day, the cultural appropriation original thing, that lasted three days, three days. And then, you know, they walked all that back, that event, and then just, it just became months of a hatchet job of me being a homophobe, a transphobe, a, a rape apologist. Like, there's a playbook. And, and that, what surprised me was I thought I was a hardcore left-wing, you know, hardcore activist because I have a platform. I use it. When I'm in America, not many people are very thrilled with my political opinions. They're not too thrilled with what I say. In the middle of our shows, sometimes the things I say is on behalf of the band and how we feel about things. You know, we're all about equality of race, sex, class. And, you know, and I thought, as far as I knew, you know, that I belonged to a movement that was about, you know, pushing social justice. So when I saw the terrible playbook that I had heard about of just character assassinate the person, that disappointed me more so than anything. of just like, wow, I guess there's no future for this movement. Because if this is the playbook that people are using, then they're, we're all in for a really bad, bad future. And, uh, you know, I think right now the political climate, you know, shows that there's so much division, even within the areas of people who should be working together. So, it's people who basically disagree, who basically agree on things. However, for whatever reason, we're fighting with each other. And I just don't understand it. Well, they're certainly not students of history, because if you look, you know, when you really think about it, let's just use the civil rights movement first. You know, we can go back to what the Underground Railroad was, but the civil rights movement, there was very little in common with the average affluent white student who was a protester from the north and some rural, you know, a black student in Mississippi. And, you know, even to this day, if you go into Mississippi, which I have, and communicate with people, there sometimes almost needs to be an interpreter because of the, the colloquialisms and the mannerisms in which we talk. You know, I've had people down there asking me, like, man, are you from Europe or something? You know, and, you know, <laughs> they just think I have an accent or something. And, and, you know, so, of course, the people had different opinions about a lot of things. And the, all the movements that were really a big part of civil rights were, you know, elements of the Jewish community, you know, the Christian community, the community like you know different classes different races of course these people had 
varying opinions, but they understood that, you know, we work together towards a certain cause and a certain goal, equality. And to me, that was the whole point of my premise behind my book was the Underground Railroad is a great, uh, you know, clandestine movement to draw inspiration from when it comes to social justice. Because again, you had white, you know, and free people of color that were the, you know, supporters of it, the organizers of it. You know, they, they funded it. And there was Quakers who had really nothing in common with Catholics, who had nothing in common with Jews at the time. And they're very rich, affluent people who are atheists to some degree were all in it together. And that meant, and why the people of the Underground Railroad, like Harriet Tubman, for example, who was born enslaved, beaten and treated less than an animal in the most horrendous conditions of her life by white people all the way through it. And at one point, when she escaped, within a few years, her closest confidants and her closest trusted friends were white. That arc, an arc of, of uh, a life like that, to me, is very, very fascinating and it's very inspirational because it shows the, the complexity of a person's spirit, their knowledge. And so, you know, the Underground Railroad united two countries, Canada, United States, multiple religions and multiple classes to work together. So if there was any other you know, movement to look to for inspiration now where it shows lots of people with lots of different, even religious philosophies. I mean, back then it's not like there was no divide between being a Baptist and a, and a Catholic. There was pretty big divide and between a Jew, they all worked together and they managed to make it happen, including atheists. So the idea that all I was doing was coming there to release the book and uh, do a couple of workshops that were interactive based around the Underground Railroad, of which I'm essentially an educator on, did seem kind of strange. I wasn't overly disappointed um, because it generated a hell of a lot of publicity, but I was disappointed in the fact that people that I loved and cared about who were people of color were you know, really made uncomfortable by this because people sort of came after them or discredited them. It was, it was a real bad hatchet job and and, uh, you know, I'm glad I withstood it. Thank thankful to a lot of people, yourself included, that, you know, stood up and said, yeah, this is bullshit. Really, at the end of the day, this is a bunch of bullshit. And some of the stuff I saw, you know, written about me being a homophobe and a transphobe, I was like, man, this is this is just so crazy. Like, I can't even believe that there's people that will resort to these these uh, these these levels to just not admit you were wrong. And uh, what can you do? I'll never I never like to make anything about me, but. I felt really guilty because I think Ari and I had like talked to you for years. Come to PantheaCon. Come to the West Coast. We live eight miles from where the hotel is. You can stay with us for a few days. We'll take you around California. And then to see that entire shit show around that. And I will tell you, when I was there, you know, when, after you were invited and then disinvited, I had, you know, people like I wish you two was here. I really was looking forward to hearing you two. Uh, to me, it felt like a missed opportunity on – that was the fault of the presenter or the people who organized the festival because it would have made sense to say, okay, let's have Utu here. We have these detractors. Let's put them in a room. Let's have a conversation about this. Let's discuss what's going on. And we didn't have a discussion. You were just, you were just removed and it never made any sense to me. It just, Oh, um, well, I would have have done that. I would have loved to have had that conversation and yeah. um, Well, Hey, lots of people were always trying to get me to go out to it. Uh, it wasn't my idea to go there. It was, you know, ultimately it was a, a wiser idea. I don't blame them. Right. But, uh, uh, hey, you know, it, seemed, it, 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 it was what it was. Um, but, yeah, you know, it just what are you going to do? Like, it, you know, it would have been fun to be there, but I just ultimately was 
you know, just a little uh, surprised at the level of lies people resort to. And, and then, you know, we have to look at everything as a microcosm, right? And that's when I realized that I really, truly realized it. I'm literally, to most Americans, probably considered some kind of radical communist, you know, in my philosophy. And if I'm the one being painted as the, 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 the bad <laughs> person in there, I just thought, wow, no wonder everybody is leaving the progressive movement in America because this is the antics that's going on in these corners and driving everybody to their right. No wonder this is why Trump got elected. This is why people that would were, and you know, the worst part was so many people like by the, literally by the hundreds, if not over a thousand or more that commented on my, 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 my feeds at times saying, ah, that's it. I knew cultural appropriation was nothing but bullshit anyway, because they just said they knew who I was. I'd been around for 20 years and they're like, if this guy's getting called a cultural appropriator, then everything about this movement is garbage. I don't even believe none of it anymore. And so what they did was lose so many valuable allies. And to me, that sets everything back. And that was the other unfortunate part. Like, it was just so it was surreal to watch it all happen. And meanwhile, I'm looking over and like, oh, look who's book's number one because of all the controversy right now. It doesn't last long, of course, but at least it was something. And what am I going to do? You know, uh, I knew controversy was coming. I just didn't know it was going to come from the inside. And the, 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 I thought it was going to come from the historic wings of people that were going to really try to come for me. And that's what a lot of other historians that helped me write the book, to some degree, were always supporting me, I should say, said, you know, be ready for this one, be ready for that one. And they all just said, no, nah, no, nah, let's just pretend this guy doesn't exist. And he'll, his work and him will just, you know, fall back into the witchcraft and conjure world where it belongs. <laughs> You know, it was strange because, you know, there was the Pantheon that you weren't at that you were going to be at. And then the next week is Convocation in Detroit. In many ways, Convocation sometimes feels like what Pantheon aspires to because there's a large group of people of color who go to Convocation. I mean, Detroit is – I wouldn't say it's a racially integrated city because I know better than that. But the magical community is very integrated. And you retreated like a rock star that weekend. I mean, I, you know, so many people were angry on your behalf, and everywhere I went, like, utu, 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 you know, I didn't even have to be there that year. I mean, you might have even beaten me in a hair off that year. I mean, everything was just floating your way. You know, it was, it was just so different, you know, how the cultures in the United States, Bay Area culture versus Detroit culture can be. Do you notice well, that? Well, I already – I, I, absolutely. My first time with the Dragon Ritual Drummers at Convocation, uh, I was like, wow, look at this, an American city with – yeah, and of course, it's Motown. And, and immediately, the group of – a uh, whole group of people we gravitated towards or gravitated towards us the very first year of Convocation was this whole entire group of, of uh, local black uh, guys and girls who were so much fun. And every year we went back, that's the kind of crew that we were hooking up with. And I just thought it was such a cool event and loved it. And to be totally honest, because I knew the book was being released in February, in my mind, I was like, well, there is nothing else happening in February. I want to have my book released at Convocation. It's a very historic city of the Underground Railroad. You know, I can do a Canadian one when it gets warmer. I want to do it there. But I, I went along with the whole idea to go to Convocation. So lo and behold, when all that shit happened... Thank God, you know, Convocation called up and said, come and have your book released here. And it ended up being better because, I mean, I would have loved to have gone to California, don't get me wrong. But uh, it made it more sense because the book was – but, you know, that was the whole point. I wanted to sort of expose and show people in California, Northern California, that not only do we have a famous Underground Railroad route ending in multiple locations in Ontario, 
But there is a famous one that ends right here in Northern California that is so underrated in history that Mary Ellen Pleasant brought. She's known as, you know, the Black City Hall, the mother of civil rights of California. Like she brought a terminus there. This is something that should be celebrated. She should be held up as an icon of, again, of, of freedom and and integration because she worked with all kinds of allies. She was with John Brown. She knew Harriet Tubman. Like this mm-hmm. is something that should be celebrated. So I thought that was a missed opportunity to really celebrate in a grand way. Northern California is so underrated and very unique underground railroad history. And so, but Hey, it was all Detroit and I was so happy to be there. And yeah, I could never thank enough people. I mean, at the end of the day, I've, I've told Kenya, uh, Koviak, the Detroit witch, many times in a message and in person that she just has to tell me when, where, and uh, I hide the body with her. I mean, you don't want to kill the body? I'll do it for you. You got to name it, sister, because, you know, she didn't have to speak up for me. She didn't, and she did in a way that was very vocal, and, and I, I'll never forget her for that because uh, it's not easy to get out and, and engage people and be that target for a while, and you know, she's, she's, out, she's got a full real favor to cash in on me uh, anytime. So I know that you live in St. Catharines, which was the terminus for one of the exits on the Underground Railroad. And in the book, you write about, you know, you can feel those spirits there. You can feel the people who who actually journeyed on the Underground Railroad and made it to St. Catharines. That spirit's sort of there for you. One of the things about the book that I think most people didn't get was it's not a book about voodoo. This is really your own tradition or a tradition that you've helped refine, right? I mean, this, this is a tradition about honoring the souls who conducted and who were lost and who were a part of the Underground Railroad. Yeah, very true, because it was a couple of, it's kind of twofold, yes. I mean, the idea of venerating heroes that are white and black and other that were integral in the Underground Railroad it just, I realized, you know, after, you know, I am a third degree. I, I was trained and raised in traditional witchcraft in the 90s. And eventually I, you know, entered into by invitation because I was a drummer into African traditional religions. And, and that's how I ended up in them. And then, you know, I was initiated and hit a certain level of, of, of title there where, you know, it was something for me to work amongst. And I lived right there. I mean, I live there now. I live around the corner from it. And there are people literally buried there still in a p- couple of parking lots that, you know, made their way to freedom and laying in a parking lot that just, you know, happenstance happened and now they won't build on there, but they're there. And they were literally in the backyard. So I, you know, I work with them and that was, they were the first spirits to work with. And it became the idea of realizing that root work and hoodoo and conjure, you know, is there's a lot of it that is sourced from the underground railroad. A lot of the conjures that we see that people see that are about, you know, avoiding the law, you know, court case going in your favor, you know, invisible hiding your tracks. All of this thing was all because of escaping the slave states, heading north and using all manner of magic available to you from spirituals to indigenous mysteries to, uh, you know, the, the traditions created by the African-American. And, you know, and then eventually takes root up here in Canada. So to me, it was like, well, there's an untold story here. And just because I was now immersed in and voodoo and root work and conjure that was my contribution to just try to illuminate that, you know, there's a little missing link here. And this is just my contribution to sort of show that this is actually an American African traditional religion, because most of these traditions 
you know, whether they come from Western Africa, of course, where they are still intact. And I belong to a line in Yoruba land. So I, 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 I practice the religion of Ifa as it is done in Yoruba land. But, you know, in Cuba and Haiti and Puerto Rico and, and all manner of the Caribbean, that's those religions that we know as Santeria and voodoo, they come from there. They're not American. And so New Orleans voodoo is a kind of a hodgepodge and a mix and a gumbo, as people always refer to as many right. practices. It's kind of just Louisiana, you know, spiritualism, and it encompasses all manner of things. And it's because it was a Catholic state, so that it opened up a bit of freedom. But really, when you look at people who are initiated or in the, the foundations of the traditions from voodoo, Santeria, or even you know, Umbanda in Brazil, there's always this these archetypes of spirits who are warriors, diviners, and freedom fighters, uh, medicine people. And, but that's all housed in cultures that are not American. You, know, those are, you have to learn to speak the languages of the Caribbean islands that you're going to be initiated amongst. And so right here in America, I realized, look, there, all of these archetypes are here. You, know, you have the warriors, the diviners, and you have these people of, of all colors, all races that were working together to fight for justice. That is the type of, that is the foundation of most African traditional religions because they were clinging to their practices of their homeland and trying to survive the slave state. So here it was right here in the Americas. And to me, that's something to celebrate because, you know, let's face it, the Americas have a horrible legacy of so many terrible things. So when you can find and pinpoint something that is uniquely spiritual, uniquely uh, fraternal, and the fact that there was men and women and, and uh, white and black working together, that's, a, that's something to draw from. And the fact that in amongst that actually was voodoo, root work, conjure, spiritualism that never gets talked about in academia because they don't want to talk about that. You, you're hard-pressed to find academia treat you know, these traditions or religions with any sense of respect or give any sort of like proper light to it. At the best of times, they're not going to stain the beloved Underground Railroad, which is considered to be this romantic, helpless slave going from house to house in tunnels, which isn't even true, and, you know, making it to freedom, reading quilts, you know, like, sure, there's some elements of that were true, but there was a lot of bloodshed, a lot of fighting, a lot of, and a lot of root work, a lot of ritual, a lot of magic, and that, to me, is the untold story, and that is why many well, at least a few historians, American and Canadian, would call me on the phone. And even when I was thankfully working on the revisions of the book and I get a couple of calls once in a while, are you done revising that book? I'd be like, well, n- no, why? You know what you should do? I'm never going to be able to get this part published. Throw this in here. Throw these dates and put that in there. And I'll bet you that's going to shock some people. And I was like, okay, you got it, man, you know, or woman, you know. And so that was also the thing. I wanted to also, because I was an enthusiast and a, and, a, and a teacher of the Underground Railroad, I wanted to make sure that the true story was also exposed. So I just used the only option I had, an occult book, Drew Weiser. It was offered to do it, so it was the only platform I had to just put something in writing that will never go away. And now, you know, I hope other people will pick it up. And, you know, and I said this, you know, if people have a problem with my work, I want other people to write books about Underground Railroad ritual conjure and root work and i know some people that probably will and almost all of them are probably black because i communicate with them and or people that hate me that want to do it i want them to do it as long as my book is in there and i hope if their first sentence is you know fuck utu he had everything wrong i'm 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 all over that i want that to happen because as any occultist don't you want your work to exist and to be scrutinized i want that and i hope it happens i hope they don't actually tear my work apart and just build from it because it'd be you know, there's nothing inaccurate in what I presented. 
And uh, at the end of the day, yeah, you know, the funny thing is, is I have everything in public. My, my whole social media world is wide open public since MySpace. Everybody in the African traditional religions I belong to do not get along. There's a lot of people that we don't like each other for whatever reason. But we all know who each other are. We all know who initiated us. And if anybody had a problem with me, believe me, it would have been known a long, long time earlier. Nobody questioned my work. In fact, the people that I've worked with across the continent, you know, are some of the most celebrated elders of these traditions. Awos, Babalaos, Olorishas, you know, Tatas, all people and traditions I belong to, or also said, you know what, I really like what this is about. I, I get what you're doing. And, I, and, it's, and this is what you do when you are at a place like I am. It's not, it's, that's why I got Baba Tejao to, to, to write the foreword because he was able to say it in a way that I couldn't. That is like, this is the work that we do. We exalt people who are heroes and heroes worthy of veneration, who give us illumination in ourselves to move forward. And since Baba Tejao is such a great social justice activist and a priest in our religions, um, you know, he was the right guy to do that for me. And I, I was so grateful he did. Yeah, I was a little jealous. When I read the book, I was like, God, I wish I'd written the forward for that, but I really wasn't the right person. So, you know, it, but it was, it, it, it was with me for a second because I liked the book that much. In the book, there's one point where you say that you really appreciate how much the witches are carrying on this work and how much they're finding it meaningful and carrying it forward. Did that surprise you? Did you not think that maybe witches would be interested in this? Well, you know, there was always, you know, I, I could tell from the people I worked with that it was the case. But, you know, when I looked back at the time to say, you know, thank goodness they did, it, it just it proved to me a little bit what I, what I love about the pagan community, what I love about witches. And just spiritual people like us in general is, you know, the ones that have a, a devotion to rudiment and tradition, but also have the capacity to collaborate and, you know, and be creative because that is ultimately what's going to bring people together at certain locations and events, because we can't demonstrate sometimes whether it's an African traditional religion or traditional witchcraft, there are things that we just are not going to show in front of everybody. So that means, well, how do we do something? Well, you know, cause you've been doing this for years as well. You have to have some creativity, some, you know, add something that's going to, you know, bring people together and give a platform for folks to work together. So I was happy that they did it and I'm happy because I get a lot of messages. That's the one thing I will say with the dragon ritual drummers over all the years, you know, getting messages from the occasional person that's like, Oh, your music really, you know, changes me. It inspires me. And, and, you know, we see people and sign a CD. Hey everybody, come over here, sign the CD. Thanks so much. You know, we talked to them for a bit, but what I did not know was when you actually release a book and for example, when you're signing books, that's an intimate interaction. Now you're talking to that person for a while. When I get these messages from folks, you know, they're really deep, long messages, very philosophical. And, uh, you know, I make sure that I'm going to have the time to answer them because I'm, to me, again, I'm an occultist and that enthralls me. And it's so interesting because everybody brings something to the table and, and that's, that's what it's all about, right? It's just, you know, you bring something, you bring some illumination and, and you hope someone takes it and, sheds that light and builds another candle and illuminates another area and adds to it. So to me, it's just uh, it's such a unique uh, thing to watch and be part of because it, while it was something I created, I was still taking abandoned or, or things that were all, you know, sort of unraveled in various places and kind of re-sewed together an old quilt and said, look at this, it's a map, it's a roadway, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a series of directions and, uh, for inspiration and, and power. 
and also to venerate. You know, at the end of the day, how can I? I don't know how to describe it. You know, I, I, yeah, I'm, I was born in Scotland. I have a very big, very big, rich love for my culture. I'm very much a part of my culture. I dress in the parts. I play in in bands that are Scottish, and and uh, you know, I love it. I'm part of traditional witchcraft. I. You know, I, I, I have all kinds of interests, you know, I love Mayan things. I used to go to Mexico a lot. I love Mayan ruins and I love their cosmology. But at the end of the day, what can I say? I just ended up living at the end of the Underground Railroad. I become some I became some crazy mystic that venerates, you know, this black Moses, who is Harriet Tubman. You know, her family descendant members are friends of mine. You know, even ones that don't live in Canada that are family, extended family members. I've spoken to them on the phone. I spoke to a member of John Brown's family on the phone before the book got released. I mean, we had to make sure that there wasn't going to be a complete shitstorm on certain fronts. The, the, worrying about the pagan community was the least of our issues, which is why that kind of surprised me. We were more worried about, you know, you know descendants, uh, you know, historians, uh, people that run the John Brown Institute, you know, things like this. But, you know, and when I talked to a couple of these relatives, they're just like, oh, that's, that's beautiful. Like, they're all beautiful. The John Brown guy, he was kind of like, wow, uh, okay. And I'm like, well, I said, don't, don't you feel that? I mean, this is what he did. Did he not? You know, yeah, he yeah. did that. And I'm like, well, this is the way a spiritual person looks at him. We look at him as inspiration and as someone worthy of veneration. And I say, hey, man, at the end of the day, did they not write a song for your man? John Brown's, you know, body is moldering in the grave. He was exalted and, and, you know, held up almost like a Messiah the moment he was hung. So this is how we as witches look at a person like that. And he's like, wow, okay, good luck. <laughs> you know, he's like, no problems here, you know. So it was just a very interesting process, and it still is. And it's to me, you know, now I was supposed to do a part two to this, but and I, I have not spoken to anybody at Wiser about it. I'm not going to lie. I just haven't. But I'm going to just, I don't think it takes a shaking wizard ball to, you know, eight ball to know that there's probably not a whole lot of appetite for that, at least not now. So I'm probably going to negate part two for now. And just uh, wait till maybe a different time, or uh, see if there's an appetite for it down the road. I don't know. I wouldn't sell yourself short. I would, I would look into it. I mean, there's authors that I find really distasteful who have books out, especially from that particular press. I won't say their names in public because that's just not how I roll. But I mean, your book's fucking fabulous, you know. And these other books, you know, are just not. And they're people that I just, I don't think should be presenting books to our greater community for whatever reason you know i i hope that you continue to write i hope that there's a sequel to this book i fucking love i might what i might have to do is i might have to just you know do a different subject first something a bit more palpable at the end of the day the underground railroad is a very niche you know it was a tester and at the end of the day as much as i say hey the book was number one on amazon for a couple of weeks you know whatever but at the end of the day it did hurt sales there's just no denying it. And the funny thing is, is there's actually stores, you know, there's other people in the Conjure community that kind of are threatened by me at the end of the day. It is what it is, you know, and, you know, they've convinced friends not to their store, not to sell it. There, there was a legitimate, unfortunate reality that, you know, certain amounts of promotion never got done. At the end of the day, I'm not selling, you know, I have nothing but love for Wiser and I'm still with them right now. Um, but promotion never happened because the controversy happened three months before the book was released and what you know everybody just got nervous and the whole thing was like what are we going to do where is this going to go you know because it did travel around a lot a lot of people tried to get that to get into mainstream stuff and that's what ultimately during the height of it i was like oh god is this really going to happen is this going to end up you know on the route you know and somebody from the route actually did contact me 
I wanted to know kind of the gist of it and said, yeah, I'm not interested. So when I was like, huh, when I prayed to me, I was like, well, then why don't you just promote the book? You know, but (laughs) I had a lot of contact from a lot of people that are underground railroad descendants, historians that said, holy moly, man, you know, so-and-so just contacted me. Like, you know, you, you, this might get in the news and stuff. And I was like, I hope not. So, but uh, I just think that, you know, the fact that it didn't get promoted and, you know, so there was an actual, uh, you know, fling back on that, which is kind of unfortunate, but I've had a lot of, you know, the elders in my traditions, Tata and, 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 and Awo, that said, don't worry about it. You know, that's how this is meant to be. It's underground for now. And the, the whole theme of your magic of this is underground. So it is what it is. You put it out. It's out there. You did your job. You fulfilled your destiny. You fulfilled a, a spiritual obligation. And now I you can will say that as, yeah, as, you know, the person who runs Pathos Pagan, usually I get excerpts from every book that Wiser prints. I had to ask for an excerpt of your book to run they never sent me one which really kind of struck me as odd well you know know, everybody was nervous and i I don't blame anybody i don't blame anybody because and at the end of the day as much as it sucks i'll write in i have other subjects i can write about but um and that's basically what i plan on doing with my life at this point is to you know to start finally settling down you know i'm a little older now it's time to do that but you know at the end of the day i'm i'm actually i'm proud of it in a weird way i feel like you know, the fact that I got deplatformed, you know, is something to say, well, that happened. Uh, I, 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 I'm one of them, very few people in the pagan community, and certainly the only one in the African traditional communities that got canceled, literally deplatformed in many places, book banned. It doesn't get much more cult than that, and especially for your first book. So I just look at it as, okay, hey, I guess the subject, for whatever reason, it just needed to be ruffled and needed to happen. And and again, I, I take that from the divination that's given to me through, you know, the, the people that read for me. One's a Tata, one's a Woe, and, and, and I, I, take, I take their wisdom and what they see, you know, as, as what it is. It was meant to be. And, uh, hey, if it ruffled some feathers and, and, and I have that moniker. So whatever I write from here on out, whatever I do, you know, it's always going to be the guy who got canceled, the guy that got deplatformed. And that's usually right-wing people that that happens to. It's not usually someone like me who's, you know, like I say, quasi-socialist, you know, I don't know, it doesn't make sense, but hey, you know, it is what it is. As Trump says, it is what it is. Oh, God, don't even get me started on that guy. You know, that just that just ruins my day every day when I hear his name. You know, I'm flipping through your book right now, and, you know, there are a lot of pagan books that look like shit. Your book, I just, it's just pretty. I mean, the pictures are good. They're well-produced. I was reading your book, and there's a couple things. I was really impressed by your writing. Your writing is really good. It made me hate you just a little bit more because I'm like, he not only is he a great drummer and musician, now he can write. I mean, I can do one thing and that's almost right, you know, and you've got like extra skill sets. I'm so jealous. You know, you are a fucking fabulous writer. I hope you can. Okay. So I appreciate that, but that does, that has a lot to do with the uh, editing process. So that blew my mind when I got my first transcript back from them with all the interactive places that I had four editors to, all together yeah. that, that did different parts of it with me for different reasons. And I was like, man, so it was one of the hardest things I had to do. Yes. The person that designed it, that did the, all the graphic design for the book, I, I thought it looked beautiful. Some of those pictures, that's the funny thing too, is that, you know, some of the photos in that book, not the ones of Harry Tubman or the famous people, but those ones that are unnamed, those have never been published in a book before. Those belong to the private collection of a famous black historic family here where I live. I know members of the family. They're friends of mine, the Bell family. There's many arms of their family that have different last names, but I'll just say the Bell for now. I don't want to expose anyone else. But those were all tintypes of people that 
uh, they don't know who they were. Those photos were taken in St. Catharines by a photographer of people that made it to freedom, and, they've, and they are now housed at the university here in the archives. And so that's the first book that ever got permission to publish them. So that's the level of connection I have to these families, that they let those photos be published. So, and I really wanted that hard. And, you know, I didn't really fight with Wiser much. I never had any issue with them. Every time, you know, at the end of the day, they, the title of the book, it wasn't going to be called that. I had a different name in mind. And then they sent that, said, what about this? I'm like, sounds great. And every time they said, I hope we're not, you know, kind of changing the thing, I'm like, you guys are smarter than me. If I have a problem with it, I'll let you know. And I just always kind of fought to make sure I wanted to get some of those pictures in. That was really the big thing. I want those photos in there. It's going to mean so much to, you know, be in those for the first time that those people are being seen in a book. And that's, that's a beautiful gift right there. And, and I, I know who some of those, we don't know who they were, but for those of us that work amongst that spirit world, I've seen their faces in my shrines, in my altars, at ceremonies, walking those streets where some of those people are buried. And so that was ultimately why I dedicated the book to them. The book was dedicated to those nameless uh, people that made it to freedom. They're the ones that guided me to all of this. And while that sounds hokey and crazy, I'm just a weird, strange, mystical person. And I followed that. And that's, that's where it led me, you know, to, to this and controversy. But I'm happy. Are you there? So I'm looking right now at a picture of the native followers from your book. Yeah. And it's just a bunch of badass individuals. It's just a great picture. And I love that they're a part of this book. We're running out of time. Before we go, I, I want to kind of talk a little bit more about the Dragon Ritual Drummers as you celebrate your 20th anniversary. One of the things that I love about you all is, and I'll admit this, and this might hurt you a little bit, I don't like drums. I'm not a drum person. However, when I listen to you all, it, I don't hear just drums. For whatever reason, there's like another level there. And I love going to your live shows. That's like the one live show that I'll always go to at Sirius Rising or whatever the hell it is. Uh, what do you think makes your show so unique? There's such a great energy when you guys are playing up on stage. Where does that come from? Do you feel that energy that you share with the crowd when you're up on stage? Uh-oh. Yeah, I hear that too. <laughs> yeah, do you got it? Can you hear me? Okay. Is it over now? Uh, whatever, I think. Okay, um, good. So I, I heard all that. I heard the questions okay. through all that craziness. Okay. Uh -oh. I'm not hearing any craziness, but you never know. I mean, there is that wall between us and Canada. All right. There's some weird delay, so I'll talk. Um, yes, we do feel. Oh, okay. So, yes, we do absolutely feel. Oh, man, there it goes again. I'm hearing myself as I'm talking. It's, uh, it's kind of strange. Okay. Oh. Yeah, we feel the energy between the crowd and ourselves. It is why we do what we do. It, it's 
so beautiful because nobody loves drumming more. Well, I think it's one of the interesting things. The pagan community loves to uh, dance to drumming. And so we, that's why we provide a certain type of drumming that is not African specifically, meaning it's not polyrhythmic. It's something that everyone can dance to uh, because it's spiritual nature for us you know, that we're demonstrating something that's spiritual for us, like what our foundation is, where we're from, what we're all about. We hail our region that we live in. You know, the fact that people respond to it and have their own esoteric or sort of like existential moments in the, in the audience is really what makes it unique for us because we're having a moment, but we know we're providing moments for people that, as well. And at the end of the day, it's also about uniting people, you know, because at the pagan events that we play at and the conjure events, you know, everybody represents different traditions. And so getting people to all come together one night, and that's kind of what rock and roll does, right? It brings people together and celebrate, you know, in one, uh, one night for one moment, we're all together, we're all clapping and dancing the same and we sort of forget the fact that we might all represent different things and have different philosophies and just celebrate together. So that's the gift of unity that we love. And that's why we just keep doing it. You all really, I mean, you're just my favorite band. If, People want to find out more about the Dragon Ritual Drummers. Where can they go online and where can they listen to your music? Well, you can find us on, you can buy our music on uh, Apple and iTunes. You can listen to us for free on Reverb Nation, ReverbNation.com, just Dragon Ritual Drummers. Uh, you can buy it. That's where that's the best place. And the best place to find us is Facebook. Ultimately, we are on Twitter. We are on Instagram, I guess, kind of. But Facebook, Reverb Nation, iTunes, you can find us. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're available. Uh, you know, well, whenever, we're, whenever we can uh, gather again, we'll, we'll be drumming. And if people want to find out more about you as an author specifically, where's the best place to go? Same thing. You just can find the book on Amazon. You can uh, contact Wiser and me. All of my social media is wide open. I'm on Facebook as Utu Witch Doctor. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. I'm wide open. People can contact me anytime. I have to say that you're on Facebook as Utu Witch Doctor. And now sometimes I write your name as Utu Witch Doctor because I see it on Facebook and it's screwing with me. Just, I know. They I'm locked me in that way. That out there. They locked me in that way. Utu, it's been a pleasure. I've known Utu for like 15, 16 years. It's really incredible like how our lives have changed over that particular period of time. Both of us writing books, having hair offs, like traveling North America to various festivals. Uh, my friend, it is a pleasure to talk to you. I hope that you'll come back again. I have like a whole other list of questions that I did not get to ask you because there are so many questions that I could ask you. This has been one of my favorite shows that I've ever done. I thank you so much for coming in and talking to us tonight. Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate it. And I will be hyping your book as well. And good luck with the release of your new book. Thank you, my friend. That is Witch Doctor Utu of the Dragon Ritual Drummers. His book is Conjuring Harriet Mama, Mama Moses Tubman and the Spirits of the Underground Railroad. It won an award from me last year for like Book of the Year at the Horny Awards. I did not know that they were so prestigious. Apparently, they are. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised. It's a fucking great book. I really love it. 
Dragon Ripple drummers are great. I hope that you'll give them a listen. I hope that you'll pick up Utu's book and give that a read. It is a really, really great book. Utu's a fantastic guy. I'm really appreciative that he was here tonight. Next week on the show, I've got John Beckett. And I'm like super on the ball after that. I have Deborah D'Angelo, who wrote a book about horse magic. That's going to be fun and different. Uh, Naja Lightfoot is going to be joining us in a couple of weeks. we got a lot of really great shows. This is going to be fun. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jason Mankey. My guest was Utu Witch Doctor. This has been Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. We'll see you live again next week. Thanks for being here. Uh, Hopefully next week it'll be a little cooler and I won't lose 10 pounds during the show from sweating. Thanks and have a great night.